is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization, and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, Executive Director at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Sue Crawford on our show today. This past year, Sue completed her Master of Nursing from the University of Calgary. She's a faculty member at the School of Health and Wellness at Bow Valley College and works as a registered nurse with Psychiatric Emergency Services at the Alberta Children's Hospital. After over a decade of working in the disability space, Sue noticed an overwhelming gap in the ways that families with disabilities access community support. She took this as a call to action and co-founded Enable. Since its inception, Enable support workers have contributed nearly 20,000 hours of one-on-one support to young people with disabilities. Sue has been named the University of Calgary's most promising entrepreneur and the face of the 2010-2020 Decade of Nursing, a finalist of the Western Legacies Innovation Award, the Prairies winner in social innovation through Startup Canada, and one of Avenue Magazine's Top 40 Under 40. Welcome to the show, Sue. Thanks, Kayla. I'm excited to be here. Likewise. So let's dive right in. Um, What's really the most important thing that you want our audience to take away from our conversation today? Yeah, so I guess as a social entrepreneur myself, I'm hoping that people can take away that there's just really no, not necessarily a right time to start a business or to run with your idea. It's not like one day you're going to get clarity or figure out your path. It's just to keep on pushing away at it and eventually it will just make sense and things will fall together as you put the energy in. Mm, I love that. So take us on your journey, you know, from working in the healthcare sector to becoming an entrepreneur. Um, Where did it all start for you? Yeah, so it actually started for me as a support worker myself. So I actually worked with a nonprofit in Calgary here called Between Friends. And through them, I worked as a camp counselor for two years, got to know a lot of really, really awesome campers and their families along the way, and was able to (laughs) connect with one of the families after camp and start working as a one-to-one worker with her and her family. And I worked with them twice a week for eight years. And throughout that time, I just, my passion for working in the disability community just grew and grew. And I ended up deciding that I wanted to feel that way every day. And so I decided from there that I might apply into nursing. So at the time, I was actually finishing a science degree at U of C. So finished up my science and then applied for nursing, got into nursing. 
and then finished my nursing degree and really hoped that nursing would be the answer to that, where I'd feel that same feeling I had when I worked with my clients every day. And unfortunately, nursing never really got that way for me. There was just too many um, barriers to provide the care that I really wanted to. And so the more that I wanted to provide for the community, the more kind of morally distressed I felt like I was becoming. And so I turned to entrepreneurship to just if I couldn't get what I wanted to get done through nursing or through Alberta Health Services, then why not try my own thing? So Amazing. I co-founded Enable in 2016 and was able to meet the demands that the community had through my own business while still balancing my nursing career and meeting the demands of um, the healthcare system and my patients within the umbrella of AHS as well. Wow, incredible. So give our audience a crash course on Enable. What types of support do you offer? What does it look like to be supported by Enable? Yeah, so Enable is a social enterprise that matches people with disabilities to support workers. We're specifically looking to meet more around social uh, social needs for young people with disabilities. So we work with uh, people aged 40 and under for our clients. Most of our clients are teenagers. A lot of them have a diagnosis of autism. Um, and so what that looks like for them is that they're often experiencing a lot of social barriers. They're looking for that kind of big brother, big sister mentor that can come into their lives, show them around the community and just go out and have fun. Mm. And so we're really looking to kind of overcome the barriers that a lot of people experience when accessing the community. And a lot of that is just that it's it's not cool to go to the mall with your mom anymore. Mm. And so they just want somebody cool to hang out with that they can form a friendship with and just learn how to like how to pay for a movie ticket on their own and just these kind of life skills that are going to be really important for them in the future like learning how to cook or baking with somebody coming up with a grocery list or budgeting and it's all those things that kind of as young adults we all <laughs> have a big challenge with but for people with disabilities it's a lot more real for them and sometimes they just need a lot more repetition to be able to overcome those challenges. Fantastic. And, and how is Enable both providing that really valuable service, but also raising awareness around disabilities and community support? Yeah, so one of the big things is that I do a lot of work on the UFC campus to try to get young students, post-secondary students, to realize that this type of work exists, mm. that um, they can get involved, they don't need a degree, you don't need a ton of education to get involved, you just need to have attention to detail and just want to make a friend. Mm. And so it's more about just getting the word out there that, hey, these aren't extremely specialized positions. Of course, there are some young people with disabilities definitely need more specialized care when it comes to occupational therapy or medical-based care, but there's a social aspect that just doesn't require that high education level. It's just that caring nature. You just come in and you you be a friend and be a companion. And just getting that idea out to the community that, hey, you know what, this exists. It's actually a super, super fun job, really fulfilling, looks great on your resume, and you get to kind of join into a family. And it just, it feels really good doing the work, but you also get to see how much you grow and the client grows and the family grow just from having that. Um, what I usually say is just like, we're parachuting the village to them. Like it just takes to get them there let's let's bring somebody to them I so. love that parachuting the village to them that's fantastic and in in that effort to parachute you know support to to the members of the community what barriers were you confronted with um, you know for support organizations like enable in the health space you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier but how did you manage all of the different you know regulatory environments or perceptions about what care would look like what were the barriers that you faced building this type of, of space 
Yeah, so I think there there are quite a few barriers. I was able to uh, avoid, I think, a good amount of them based on the fact that I already had a decade of experience working in the community. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the families that were applying for support through Enable were already familiar with me. So the biggest challenge that a lot of families with children with disabilities or with young people with disabilities is that they just don't really trust anyone. Their children are either minors and then have a double vulnerability where they have a disability. So they want to know that their child's safe and that they're going to be cared for in an environment that makes sense for them, that caters to their needs and is going to make sure that they are safe as they go out. And so I think because I already had that connection, I was able to really kind of springboard off of a lot of the connections I already had and really expand out from there through word of mouth. Obviously, um, from a like kind of regulatory perspective, it is um, very highly regulated, which is why we don't cross over into the medical area with it mm-hmm. is because um, those they do. You do need experience. You do need a license. You do need to be registered in order to be providing things like injections or tube feeds and stuff like that. So that's why we kind of we avoid those pieces because those ones, there's already organizations that provide that care. It's more the social care that really is the the big barrier. And so that's kind of where we have found our niche and kind of <laughs> wedged ourselves into that area to say, hey, here's what we can provide you. We might not be able to do these really highly regulated areas, but when it comes to going out, throwing a Frisbee, playing basketball, riding a bike, going swimming, we can do that. Amazing. So walk us through how you've been able to shift or, or what um, what Enable looks like now and during COVID-19. How has this type of support manifested, um, obviously, in, in this very different environment that we're faced with right now? So there's a couple kind of, I guess, two prongs with COVID. First thing is that I think it, it allows a lot of other community members who otherwise we're not socially isolated to have that really direct personal experience. So um, a lot of people with disabilities experience this social isolation on a daily basis. They can't escape a lot of this, whereas a lot of the rest of our other community members are just experiencing this with COVID. So it really gives you an idea of what young people with disabilities are dealing with on a daily basis. With COVID coming in, it, it obviously restricted a lot of the visits that we could do. And um, some of our clients are quite immunocompromised as well as our support workers. A lot of our support workers actually have um, have disabilities themselves as well. And so they weren't willing to go out and meet. It just doesn't make sense from a safety perspective. Our hope was to kind of do maybe more of a pivot towards something online um, to be able to meet up and do virtual hangouts. Again, unfortunately, it just it doesn't work for every client. Some clients, it's been successful and it's been working out okay, or they've been going outside for walks, for example. But I mean, it's pretty cold in Calgary. It's just getting colder. It just doesn't quite make sense for that. Um, from a virtual perspective, it's I guess it's already hard in person to engage or keep the attention of somebody for longer than a few minutes, um, depending on the type of disability and the challenges that they have. So putting them online, I mean, yeah, maybe for 20, 25 minutes, you could get something done, but really not the type of respite that we want to provide the families. So that idea for a pivot, it kind of fell flat pretty quickly. So what's ended up happening is that a lot of the the matches have separated 
temporarily for the time being. And then they hope to be able to meet up again once things are a little bit more um, settled out with COVID or vaccine comes out or uh, more safety regulations types of things. Um, But of course, there are still kind of my core support workers that are still going out because they're the parents are uh, essential workers. And so they still need the support regardless. And so we're able to still provide the support to the families with those really high needs or that have that kind of morning and night care that has to be done. So we were able to kind of keep a few people on, but definitely not the growth that we were having prior to COVID. And for you, how have you been managing, you know, my, my I generally ask about um, co-founders who are also, you know, nine to five doing something different, balancing that and managing that. How has it been for you also, um, you know, still working at Alberta Children's Hospital, still working at the University of Calgary, or at uh, Bow Valley College, rather? Um, what has the balance and the shift been like for you since March? So surprisingly, actually, March, things got a little bit easier for me. So first of all, obviously, things with Enable started um, paring down. And so I had more and more people contacting me saying, hey, you know what, we're not really ready for a match right now, but we'll check back in later. Mm. And so that kind of relieved a lot of the pressure that I had going on with so many families coming through and so many support workers interested, like things were really, really picking up at the beginning of this year, which was so exciting, but it just kind of things shifted as soon as COVID hit. At the same time, I was actually finishing my the last few chapters of my thesis mm. and worked full time. And so oh <laughs> it was it was way too much. And I had kind of I was sitting kind of wishing I was like, I just need the world to stop so I can just catch up. And I this isn't what I wished for, but I definitely stopped. And I was able to finish the last few chapters of my thesis. I have been working front lines both at the children's hospital and with my students. Mm. But also there was a period that my students were also canceled. We didn't have any like kind of auxiliary staff in the hospitals at the time. Mm. So I started working for another nonprofit uh, that works with people who are homeless that have symptoms of COVID and need to self-isolate. So I started working with them. So I was able to still kind of do my full-time hours, give back to my community, still be able to offer my skills as a nurse, um, but then finish that thesis and kind of put Enable on the back burner for the time being. And then I'm hoping that we're still able to kind of bring it back to life, really kind of breath of fresh air once COVID kind of passes. But right now it just seems like too much of a safety risk for us to jump into all the things at once. Um, But at least now I can come out of it saying I've got my master's now. I don't have to deal with writing a thesis anymore. And now it's just work and business, which is very nice compared to what I was um, facing at the beginning of the year. And still a tremendous amount of work. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's still two very, very significant pieces. But uh, but it's it's interesting to see how the universe, you know, sometimes manifests what you need and in different ways. Obviously, I don't think anybody wish it, it was through a global <laughs> pandemic. But yeah. um, but there are benefits that have come from from this circumstance in, in many different ways. Yes. So in terms of, uh, you know, advice that you have for other entrepreneurs who are either looking to begin, you know, a side hustle or a business that that they can develop um, that potentially turns into full-time work um, or those that are looking to start a business now, do you have any key pieces of advice that you wish you had known early days in your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah. So I think, well, a couple of things. First of all, was finding a mentor really early on. Mm -hmm. I didn't find my mentor until Um, I would say maybe a few months in, which isn't that far along. But once she did come my way, she was so amazing. And I just I we had such a great connection. Um, And I worked with her for a few months. And then at one point, um, she's actually out of Toronto, and she had flown to Calgary for a business meeting. And we met up for dinner, and I was so excited. And um, when we met, she actually broke up with me. 
Oh. And <laughs> I was so disappointed. But she just said, I, I really don't think that I can offer you like the amount that you're growing. I don't think I can offer you any more kind of quality through this relationship. So I was super heartbroken about it. But then was it kind of just made me face another challenge of like, okay, who am I going to turn to now? Because it obviously relied on her for a lot of kind of coming up with ideas and, and checking in. And so then, okay, well, let's find somebody new. And so I've been able to bounce through a number of mentors that kind of helped me not be too rigid in my thinking of one person can provide me what I need. But jumping over and going, okay, well, now I can have somebody that's a mentor in like the entrepreneurship um, business landscape. And I can jump into having somebody that can help me in like a social innovation mm -hmm. landscape. So it helped me like kind of expand a little bit more, even, even though I was really heartbroken. But it still, it made me kind of realize that, hey, you know what, like this, this makes sense to keep jumping from people and getting um, different knowledge from different sources. So I'd really recommend that just finding a mentor, get somebody that can help you out in a specific space. And when you outgrow them, that's okay. It's all right. It'll everything will move forward. And of course, like she obviously like felt kind of badly about it, but she just felt like she couldn't offer me what I needed anymore. Um, so I felt like it was time to move on from that. Um, and I kind of I guess I alluded to it at the start there um, about how there's kind of just not really an obvious path for entrepreneurship or for business. So I get a lot of people that are like, you're so invested in this space. You have so much passion for this space. It seems so obvious that you would jump into this space. And I think that that's a little bit of a facade. That's not how it started. One day was not just like, oh, I've got this great idea. I'm going to start it today. And then it just blew up from there. It, it just didn't work like that. There's been so many challenges along the way, so many different pivots, so many different people like mentors um, obviously had a co-founder at, at the beginning as well. And he's no longer active in Enable, um, but him and I are still in contact. So there's a lot of different things that kind of changed over time. And it wasn't just something that came together that was really easy or that didn't take kind of day and night effort and work to try to make it go. So I just want people to understand that it's just not quite, it's not like one day, okay, great, I have a business and now I'm leading this luxurious life. Mm -hmm. It's actually like a lot of work to be able to get where where we've gone at least. Um, and it'll be a lot of work to start any business. Um, one of the things that came up a lot was around people saying like, oh, are you worried about sharing your idea? Somebody might take it. And that's really not the um, the sort of mentality that we have in a social innovation space. If somebody else wants to start another Enable, I think that's a great idea. There's so many people with disabilities that need this sort of support and care. And so I welcome people to come into this space, join us, like join Enable, come be a part of this community. So I was never really worried about, I, I got warned a lot about it, like somebody might take your idea if you do need too many pitch competitions. But it's not, it's not a gadget. It's, it, it, it's a social enterprise where we're in order to get it to go, it takes so much energy and so much trust from the community that it's like, it, it just, I don't think anyone else is going to come in and steal what we have going. They're going to join in, they're going to feel the energy and they're going to like kind of join into the community and contribute to it rather than try to kind of take it away. Mm -hmm. So that's so interesting. Our, our friends at Future of Good have done some Twitter chats and have had different conversations around this, that in the social innovation and social impact space, what does, you know, intellectual property protection look like? Or, you know, what are the boundaries that we need to put around these businesses that protect the ideas? But what what is that concept? Because the idea being that we are are stronger together and if these movements gain traction and, and you know, additional people are working in those spaces, 
it amplifies, which is, you know, especially aligning to any sustainable development goal, et cetera, there's, there's potentially a huge impact to be had if people get on the bandwagon. But how do you sort of balance the different sides of the actual business of that? So interesting that you, you bring that, that comment up. Yeah, really looking more at collaboration instead of competition, exactly. which I think is very different the social innovation space. So very different mindset. It doesn't really fit so much. I, some of the business competitions that I've been in, they're like, oh, you got to be careful. Like, nah, I'm not worried. <laughs> no, <laughs> thank you. I feel like they'll they'll feel the energy. They'll want to be part of it. They'll join in. They're not they're not here to take away what I've what I've worked towards. And I love your your comment sort of about just constantly iterating and not having this eureka moment in your career that everything snapped into place and, and then you became, you know, what you are now. Like, I think that's a really helpful uh, piece of advice to share with entrepreneurs because externally, there's just this perception that entrepreneurs are these overnight successes and, you know, they they hit these crazy milestones with such speed and, you know, such energy and, and productivity. But many entrepreneurs have never had that that aha moment uh, that has leapt them into the next part of their careers. It's these small iterations and innovations that have brought them to where they are now. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So in terms of, you know, Canadian, other Canadian entrepreneurs being supportive allies in this community or just Canadians at large, uh, what does that look like for you? How do you look at building out this community nationally, internationally, once COVID subsides? What are next steps for, uh, for Enable? Yeah. So my hope is, so there's a uh, different funding or like government funding in each province. And so a lot of families, so when you have a child with a disability, you have access to around 40 hours per month of paid support work. So those families get the funding only if they're able to use the hours. So what ends up happening is a lot of a lot of families can't find the right fit. And so their hours go unclaimed month after month, year after year, and they're never actually able to take up that money. Um, so I have like a fairly good understanding of how the Alberta funding agencies and, and government funding for this province works. There's different, I guess, challenges for each province because it's going to look different with every province. Mm-hmm. So the next most obvious step would obviously to be to expand to other cities within the Alberta market first, just because it is getting um, like getting that ally uh, allyship between like Enable and these funding agencies is really important. So expanding through Alberta and then kind of coming to to recognize and really learn about the different funding um, things that are more accessible to us and other barriers that might come into play. And I mean, the hope one day is to be able to expand it out. I have had quite a bit of um, interest through Nova Scotia, actually, and I'm not really sure why that was happening. <laughs> I had quite a few people from um, Halifax that were connecting with me. So I'm not sure if there there was some sort of uh, miscommunication along the way, but I had quite a few people come through at one point. So I wonder if somebody was talking about it over there and they just thought, hey, I really hope something like this could happen for us in Halifax. So there's kind of like these hot pockets along the way that people will contact me and they're like, we really could use this in our city or in our town. And so I I love getting those sorts of calls because it just really kind of iterates that this is such a big need that it's not just something that I heard about, but it's, it's really truly in all of our communities that people with disabilities and their families just live in silos and we need to start breaking those down. And in order to do that, we need to make connection. Mm, Completely agree. Final pieces of advice, Sue, uh, to leave our listeners with. You provided so many helpful tidbits throughout this entire conversation. Um, is there anything else you want to share with our audience? 
Uh, I think one thing that I, I kind of always try to get across to people is if you're a business professional interested in entrepreneurship or just generally a community member is to just kind of think about accessibility in your community, in your business, in the places that you frequent and think about how like how accessible socially and physically are these spaces and how are you contributing maybe in a positive way and maybe in a negative way to some of those spaces. So things like if you go to like your coffee shop, are you noticing that the tables are really close together and somebody with a wheelchair might not be able to fit in there? Is uh, Are the bathroom stalls really tight and you can't really get in and out? Some of these things like really it does take a lot of, um, we need to kind of be allies to be able to say, hey, you know what, this is not a really great accessible space. Is there any way that you can move some tables around so that people could use it? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the... Um, when we get together with matches or do any sort of group events, a lot of the clients become really, really anxious about whether they can use the bathroom. Are they able to get in the door? Once they get inside, is the table going to be too low for their wheelchair to fit underneath? And all these things that are really, really easy to fix, but yet are not really seen unless somebody says something. So I think it's just so important that we are looking to our environment and trying to kind of challenge the way that we've thought about things in the past and try to say, hey, like, how can we make this more accessible? And obviously that's kind of more from a physical standpoint, but there's a social standpoint too, which is that if you kind of think about like your friend list or um, the people that you share community spaces with, are there people with disabilities around there that you're seeing that you're interacting with? And if they're not, why is that? So like in Canada, one in seven people have a disability, but we don't really see one in seven people with, obviously there's invisible disabilities that we don't always see, but we don't really see that much diversity when it comes to ability in our communities. And I think a lot of that is because there's so many barriers. So I think it's kind of starting with the awareness piece, but then also starting moving into an advocacy space to say, hey, why don't we see people with disabilities using these spaces and what can we do to make it more accessible for them? Fantastic call to action there, Sue. Thank you so much for these really valuable pieces of advice on the business side and also just challenging us to think a little bit differently and build that awareness um, within the spaces that, that we operate in every day. Fantastic conversation, Sue. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. Visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rick Spence and plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to thrive.